3: broken stock or a broken company. On a day like today, after an explosive rally yesterday with the Dow dipping 179 points, S&P declining 0.31%, and the NASDAQ down 0.21%, I like to look for a particular kind of damaged merchandise, stocks that have been hit even though the underlying company is doing just fine. Why do I like broken stocks? Because most people prefer to chase what's hot in the hope that they can get in on the next big thing. Not before it's happened, but while it's happening. And hey, who doesn't want to be riding the next hot stock like a Lululemon or TJX that are finally getting the acclaim they deserve? But the problem with hot stocks is that you're often late to the party. The better approach? Find cold stocks of once hot companies that could ignite again. That way, you could potentially enjoy the whole run. In other words, find broken stocks of intact companies. What does a broken stock look like? Let me give you the quintessential example. Nearly two months ago, President Trump decided that Amazon was paying too little to the post office for its distribution. And he went on a Twitter rampage against the online retail titan. Put aside the fact that, by all accounts, the post office is actually turning a profit from Amazon, okay, a profit... Forget that the president may have attacked Amazon because its CEO, Jeff Bezos, owns the Washington Post, which has been highly critical of this administration. Didn't matter, the tsunami of tweets crushed the stock. Thanks in part to the president, Amazon quickly shed 200 points. Extremely rare breakdown on one of the best-performing stocks of all time. 200 points. It was painful to buy Amazon into that weakness. The
1: house of pain.
3: Every time the president went after them, every time he went on the offensive, the stock went even lower. But if you'd done any homework, well, you would have realized that even if the post office tore up its contract and really put the screws to Amazon, it would have reduced the company's earnings by maybe a nickel. A nickel. I remember telling people when I was on vacation that they had to the buy, buy, buy Amazon, that my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, was picking it up. Every time the president tweeted, hardly anyone wanted to listen. People were too afraid. And then what happens? Amazon reports the single best quarter of the year with a dramatic 43% increase in sales. That's right, 43%. It was the perfect example of a broken stock, not a broken company. And the darn thing bounced back with a vengeance. Sometimes these gains can be fleeting. you got to act pretty fast. We had Take-Two Interactive on the show last night. A week ago, the video game publisher reported. And its stock immediately shed seven points because one of its titles was late and another had some weakness. But if you just waited a few minutes on the conference call, CEO Strauss-Zelnick announced a fixed date for the release of Red Dead Redemption 2, an eagerly awaited title that had been delayed multiple times. The stock quickly made up those seven points and ultimately tacked on three more. That's how big this game will be. After Grand Theft Auto, I could argue that Red Dead is their most important franchise. Okay, how about something that you can still act on? Last that we heard from the CEO of International Flavors and Fragrances, IFF, a long time Kramer fave. Here's a company that recently made a very bold move to buy a competitor, Fruiteroom, which has a lot of exposure to the fast-growing natural taste category. Dovetails well with IFF's taste business. The problem is the deal cost a fortune, about $7 billion, and IFF's not even a $10 billion company. So the stock dropped like a stone, down 11% on the news, not just because of the big price tag, but because IFF will have to do a $2 billion equity offering to help pay for it. That totally freaked everybody out. If you already own international flavors and fragrances, oh boy, you took a real beating here and you got my sympathy. But if you don't own it, you've got my opportunity. This deal should be usually added to the earnings next year, which means IFF is is a classic broken stock of a healthy company. That's why I think it's this deal down here off 17% for 2018. Very rare to ever see that stock, high-quality stock like that, down this much for a year. I buy half your position now and half when the deal closes, just in case I'm wrong about the timing. How about waste management? You know, we have them all the time. The garbage disposal business is doing incredibly well with tremendous business all over the country, growing like a weed because of all the construction, principal source of waste. That's cleaning up, that it's cleaning up after. However, the stock got dinged last time it reported because of one line item on the mosaic of businesses, newspaper recycling, as the Chinese, the major buyers of this stuff, pulled out, likely because of the trade war. We know that the Chinese absence is already baked into the stock, but what happens if China comes back in now that our president was, was making nice with the PRC? I say was, because middle of the day, this whole sell-off started snowballing because the president made some uh, grousing about the talks, and that's what sent the uh, tailspin. Why not buy waste management now before the Chinese breathe new life into the recyclable newsprint business? All right, let's talk tough ones. Raytheon. This arms dealer makes missiles for countries all over the world, but today caught a downgrade from Credit Suisse, which argued that all the U.S. defense stocks are too expensive and the group's peaking. Where was this guy when it was much higher? I don't know about, about whether this guy's right, honestly. Raytheon's orders sure aren't peaking. I think this analyst broke the stock himself. But it didn't even dent the company, which is the hottest products in the entire universe of armaments. Wait a day. Buy some. I say wait a day because when you see selling like you did today, it's not done the next day. Too heavy. How about Nordstrom? This is a high-end department store chain with a strong balance sheet. But when Nordstrom reported, the company executed poorly. And the stock plunged from nearly $51 to $45 last Friday. I think this was a highly emotional session where panic was everywhere in the name. While Nordstrom did screw up. Absolutely. I'd argue that the stock is a lot more broken than the underlying business. The managers are good enough to fix this thing. And in the meantime, they pay a 3.2% yield weight. Plus, it's always possible that the Nordstrom family, which wanted to buy the whole company for 50 bucks not that long ago, will come back and bid for it now that the stock's down more than 8% from that level. That's a stretch, I know, but I'm putting it out there. Those are what broken stocks look like. How about broken companies? How do you know what to avoid? Okay. This morning, Marvin Ellison, CEO of JCPenney, abruptly resigned to become the CEO of Lowe's, the big-box hardware team. You know, LOW. He worked at Home Depot before going to Penny, and his arrival there almost three years ago was immediately heralded as exactly who the company needed to break out of its death spiral. Turns out, Ellison was not what the company needed. Even so, his resignation decked an already battered stock, it sent the thing down uh, 6% today. I mean, that's pretty awful. So do we buy J.C. JCPenney into this weakness? I submit the answer is no, because I think it is indeed a broken company. What makes me say that? Because I looked at where Penny's bonds were trading, as bond buyers tend to be a lot more discerning than the stock junkies. The company's 5.875% secured notes due 2023 got hammered today. It now yields 7.6 percent. Its unsecured notes, the 8.625s due March of 2025, were annihilated and now yield an astoundingly high 11 percent. Those are total red flags suggesting that Penny's actual survival might be at stake. Remember, in Craymerica, we're looking for the stocks of very good companies that might have made a misstep or gotten downgraded or simply mispriced because of emotional panic selling. The bottom line, we don't want the stocks of companies that are genuinely in peril. As long as you know the difference between a broken stock and a broken company, I think you can do very well for yourself by searching for unjustly marked down merchandise like IFF, like Raytheon, like Waste Management, like Nordstrom. But don't buy all at once and recognize that broken stocks rarely turn on a dime. When they do turn, though, they turn with a vengeance. Let's go to Gregory in California. Gregory. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I am having an okay day. How about you? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It wasn't uh, too much fun today in the market. I'm calling about a stock. Uh, company called Baidu. Take a symbol as B-I-D-U. You know, they were on their way all the way up to 300, and I thought I'd missed them. And then this weird thing happens on Friday. One of their chief executives steps down, and they drop a whole ton. And I'm thinking, this might be an opportunity to get in. So I get in. And then they've just kept on going down. They haven't seemed to benefit from any of the announcements uh, that seemed positive. What, well, what not yet, Gregory, but let's give this some time. Baidu and Alibaba are, and Baozan is a secondary uh, are the uh, three names that I uh, I endorse from China. And I don't think you should buy them all at once because they're wild traders. But Baidu, Baozan, and yes, Alibaba all make sense to me. George in New York. George! Yes, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Um, And thanks for the action um, alert guidance and Uh, also your recent review of the uh, new thing, the cloud-based company. Oh, the the cloud kings! I got to focus on them again. What's going on? Question is based about uh, coherent stock. Uh, It ran up to three twenty in January. Uh, First quarter uh, missed uh, or made it in terms of. Uh, Revenue missed on earnings by 12 cents, but now we're down to like 170 from a 320 high, and I'm wondering whether or not there's any gas left in this tank or... You know, I, look, I, candidly, ever since uh, JDS Uniface, boy, does that ever date me, I have had an aversion to the uh, laser business and photonics businesses, so I am not going to be the guy who's going to recommend that stock, even though I see it is down dramatically and now finally has an inexpensive price earnings mobile. All right, know the difference between a broken company and a broken stock. You can make a lot more money if you buy a distressed stock of a solid company. Oh man, tonight, whether it's air, ground, or rail, the transports move our economy. With freight costs rising, could it be the time to ride the rail? So I'm going to sit down with Union Pacific, find out what's ahead. Then oil hit fresh highs today, taking some of the market by surprise. Tonight I'm revealing why you could have predicted the move months ago. And Micron Technology shares soared today after news of its $10 billion buyback and robust business. But is there more upside ahead? I'm sitting down with the CEO. So stick with... Like I told you last night when we heard about President Trump's trade armistice with China, whole swaths of this market got a major shot in the arm. Take the railroads, which are heavily levered to global commerce. A company like Union Pacific, which makes a lot of money by shipping Chinese goods from West Coast ports to the rest of the country. So it's a much safer investment in a world where we're not engaged in a trade war. Without that worry, we can focus on everything that's going right here in this country. We just heard from so many companies this earnings season who complained about skyrocketing costs of transportation, but you know what? They're winners, too. When Union Pacific were Reported a couple of weeks ago. The numbers were excellent. Revenue up 7%, earnings per share up 27%. These are staggering numbers, people. Now, the company's holding its annual investor day next week. I bet, they'll, I bet we'll like what they have to say. And if the sell off continues, this is a great place to be. So let's take a closer look with Lance Fritz. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Union Pacific. Find out more about what's driving this bull market in transportation and how his company can continue to benefit from it. Mr. Fritz, welcome back to Made Money. Good Thank to see you, sir. Much, Jim, it's good All right. to see you. When you speak next week, will you talk about the industrial renaissance? that is happening in this country.
2: Absolutely, and it is happening in this country, and we're right in the middle of it.
3: There seems to be a staggering amount of activity, building, construction, particularly in plastics, in one of your areas, and the amount of work, the amount of physical goods, cargo that have to go to that is staggering.
2: Yeah, it is staggering. There's investment happening all around the country right now. I think it is in part at least, maybe in large part, to tax reform also regulatory reform. And we see it across the steel industry. We see it across across industrial uh, chemicals in the energy sector, housing starting to pick up nicely. Mm -hmm. It's really pretty broad in terms of the expansion.
3: Well, to me, your last quarter suffered from congestion, literally so much business, but you're also the safest railroad in the country, and so you're not going to do anything that makes it so you're pushing... Uh, trains where they shouldn't go. Has that been solved, the bottlenecks being solved, and therefore your operating ratio going still lower and better?
2: The bottlenecks largely have been uh, resolved. It was all about too much inventory in specific spots of our railroad. We've got that pretty well resolved. We're about 80% of the way back. There's more work to be done, Jim. And in order to get back, we put excess resources into the network. So we've got excess costs that have yet still to come out. That's our work that's ahead of us.
3: Now, you are hiring, but at the same time, you're letting people go. But it seems like it's management that lets go. This is a nice twist, <laughs> twist on capitalism. And it's regular workers that are getting hired.
2: Pretty much that's right. We've, we've taken our, our overhead structure, our administrative uh, burden, if you will, and streamlined that so we can make decisions faster. We're right in the middle of hiring right now. We've got a full training pipeline, and we're actually paying 10000 and up to $25,000 signing bonuses for uh, different parts of the country, different early bounty. Country. <laughs> I wouldn't call it bounty. Right. I'd say trying to find the right people for the right job. Fair
3: enough. Now, we hear from many of the companies, recently just Campbell Soup uh, last week, in you know, a dismal quarter, freight, freight, freight. But when I think of the rails, the rails are a relative bargain versus trucks. Mm-hmm. Is there any way uh, that maybe these companies who didn't think twice about it can realize that, that you can compete against the trucks, that maybe they're not spending their money
2: right? That's absolutely happening as we speak. All of our markets that are truck competitive, and there's a fair number of them, we're seeing more demand in those markets, our domestic intermodal product is seeing a lot of demand, it's growing well, we're seeing pricing opportunities in those areas, and we are seeing more customers come to us looking for solutions, ways we can help them with this very tight truck market, and we're in a sweet spot for that
3: actually need more salespeople because the story is such a good one. Getting price, productivity, top line growth, excellent service product, as you like to say. It's not a commodity. To me, it's a story that you should go to every one of these manufacturers who says on their conference calls, we have freight costs, and you can lower them.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. It sounds like we're doing it right now, so I hope they're all watching. But we do. We have an excellent commercial team. They're doing a great job. They're deeply engaged in every state and all the industries that we serve.
3: Now, uh, the, well, the next hot button on trade is NAFTA. Man, mm-hmm. I know that we have a truce in China right now, but NAFTA, you guys have done fabulous. I mean, you really are the train hubs out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Are you worried about the peso being so low that the president cannot be happy? Are you worried about the huge amount of oil Autos that come from Mexico that are really your sweet spot because autos in America haven't been that good.
2: Yeah, I am worried about NAFTA just overall, right? Okay. And what concerns me right now is there seems to be this idea that we've got a race to a deal. Yeah. And if we can't get it done soon, we're going to have to pause for a while. And that strikes me as an unhealthy place to be. I think we've got trading partners in Canada and Mexico who want to modernize NAFTA. We've all got good ideas about it. I think there's a path forward to success for all of us to win, and that's what I want to have happen.
3: You, you say we've all, but does that mean that you've been a seat at the table? Have you spoken to the president about this?
2: Uh, I have not spoken directly to the president about this, but I've spoken to his administration. And we've made our interests plain, which is uh, the, the inextricable links, the tight links between our trading economies, the fact that NAFTA is a trading bloc, right. is positioned to win globally, And what we need is more markets available to us, not fewer. So we're talking about, let's modernize the things that make sense, right? Right. The dispute resolution system really does need to work a little better. Uh, We really do need to modernize around e-commerce and intellectual property. There's a couple of other elements. Uh, but I think there's a clear path to win and 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 I think it can happen.
3: All right, one last question, Lance. I know everyone's very excited about the financials and I don't blame them because that's what this show's about. But you have bought back you had nine hundred and forty six million shares in twenty twelve. Now you're seven hundred and seventy six million. Twenty two percent increase in the dividend. You had that's a dollar twenty-five back then versus two sixty one. Just bought back nine point three million you know, uh, honestly, what is everyone hoping for? I mean, given the fact that there is absolutely a lot of buying going on already. Yeah. Well, Not enough?
2: Well I I think what our shareholders are looking from us is keep up this excellent service product and experience for your customers. That builds long-term value. Keep being the safest railroad in North America. That builds long-term value. And make sure that you're investing in the railroad so that you generate a great return. After that, it's our money and we want it, whether it's dividends or buybacks. And we'll behave appropriately.
3: But you do have a lot of room with your investment grade, which I you know you care about, mm-hmm. to be able to recapitalize, actually recapitalize the darn railroad if you want to.
2: Yeah, we actually took our old guidance off the table, which was uh, debt to EBITDAV about two times-ish, a little uh, approaching it. And at our investor day, we'll reveal what we think the right capitalization for the company is.
3: Now, you are in the sweet spot also for the Permian. FOR OIL, mm-hmm. uh, CAN IT CONTINUE uh, Slumberjay SAYING, YOU KNOW WHAT, WE'RE REALLY PUMPING ALL WE'RE GOING TO GET OUT OF THIS COUNTRY.
2: Well, oh, it seems pretty incredible, the growth rate that we've seen, right? The Permian right now, I think, is producing in the neighborhood of uh, 4 million barrels a day yes. and growing.
3: Double from just a few years ago. It's, it,
2: it, it's not obvious to me where that peak is. I think it gets driven by oil price right. and the ability to move the oil to market.
3: Well, it's a remarkable time, and if the market comes down, it's Union Pacific, ahead of the analyst meeting, just Union Pacific in general. That's Lance Fritz, Chairman, President, and CEO of Union Pacific. I hope you like what you heard, because I sure did. Man Bunny's back for the break.
1: Coming up, to find the latest fashions, should you be checking your phone? Kramer sits down with a CNBC disruptor that's expanding the wardrobes of millions.
0: A subscription to fashion where women could have a closet on rotation, have unlimited possibilities of what to wear.
1: And doing it in style when Mad Money returns.
3: People seem astonished that oil could hit fresh highs again earlier today. West Texas crude touching 72 bucks, Brent $7 higher. But the logic behind the move was plain to see, even if the price of oil rolled over near the end of the day. You got it less than a month ago from the smartest person in the business, Paul Kibbsgaard. He's the CEO of Schlumberger, the oil service giant. When Slumberjee reported, Kibsgaard told us that supply and demand were finally in balance, yet global crude stocks were well below their five-year average. That, he said, meant oil could start to move up smartly very soon, given that demand was now running up 1.5 million barrels over last year. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. More important, Kibsgaard talked about how the dramatic underinvestment in global E&P activity, that's exclamation and production, had at last taken its toll, with countries like Angola, Mexico, Malaysia, Indonesia, and China. China experiencing, and I quote, notable year over year production declines. In other words, these countries need to spend a lot more on drilling or else their output will keep falling, (coughs) excuse me, which means the recent gains in oil may be here to stay, especially since none of these countries seems to be doing very much to boost production. Meanwhile, Kibbskar said that Libya and Nigeria, they're usually reliable sources of crude. They're already running at full capacity. Not so good. He predicted that the trend would only accelerate, telling us that U.S. shale fields, Russia, and the UAE were the only three sources of short-term supply growth in the entire world, and they're not big enough to push prices back down. He told us there was no way they could meet the accelerating demand from the strong global economy, something he thinks only a trade war with China could slow. Now, Kim's guard seemed genuinely surprised at the skepticism among oil producers about how long these higher prices could last. Given the high demand and dwindling supply, that skepticism has caused some producers to spend much less money than they should at this point in the cycle. He figured that they, they should be ratcheting up their spending here, especially with Venezuela and free fall and possible sanctions against Iran on the way. These two situations have only gotten worse since he spoke. President Trump enacting sanctions on Iran and Venezuela just voting in the same corrupt leadership that refuses to pay the bills to Schlumberger or any other oil service firm that's needed to get the production going again. Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves. Can you believe that? But because it's halfway toward being a failed state, it's producing only 1.3 million barrels a day. Now, put this in perspective, Venezuela was pumping 2.5 million barrels a day a couple years ago when crude was selling for half its price. I think it's finally dawning on some of these oil executives that it's time to ramp up production dramatically. They need to spend much more than they are doing and planning to do so. And I'm not just talking about the South American exploration programs highlighted in today's journal. It is mystifying why some of the bigger U.S. independents haven't issued equity here, the way they did when the price of crude was recovering from $25 to the 40s a couple of years ago. What the heck they waiting for? And I don't understand what's keeping the country's Kibsgard mentioned. You know, places like Mexico and China from dramatically increasing their drilling budgets, too. China's flush. Mexico's got a pretty decent economy going, even if the peso's been hammered uh, since Trump was elected. When oil was stuck in the 40s, nearly all of these entities, aside from slumberjack, kept getting burned when they tried over and over and over again to predict a massive resurgence in the price of crude. They are way too optimistic. Now oil has made its comeback, and of course they're too pessimistic. Look, without significant new exploration, the price of oil will keep drifting higher. So if you get any sort of pullback like we got late this afternoon, I recommend using it to build up some oil exposure. Maybe a major like Chevron or an independent like Pioneer Natural, or perhaps the most obvious of them all, the stock of the man who predicted it all, Paul Kibbsgård's Slumberjay. Vinny in California, please. Vinny! Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Good, good. I'm a longtime follower, everyday viewer, and I was inspired to finally call after watching your commencement speech to your stepdaughter. Oh, class thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah.
2: Yeah, thanks for sharing your personal struggles. and the Thank message you. It wasn't Netflix, all done in fair so. weather.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I had a question about Valero. I own shares in a Roth IRA. In the near term, companies that's getting well with high utilization rates against the growing global
2: economy, plus recent con- consolidation in the industry. Um, However, long term, there's a push towards electric vehicles, more fuel efficient planes and overall reducing carbon emissions. So
3: I wanted to get your thoughts on how I should think about my position going forward. Given on in my late 30s, and it's in a dividend reinvested retirement. Well, it, account. It's funny you mention that because that's exactly what Aramco's were worried about. They see everyone going away from petroleum. Uh, I think Valero's fine. I do like Marathon Pete Moore, candidly. Uh, I think that they've got a little more pro shareholder attitude. But you know what? Valero's good, and it's an interesting choice for an RA, and I think you've got a half dozen years before I would really worry about it. That's the differential between Texas and uh, crude that's from Brent. Let's go to Lindsay in Massachusetts. Lindsay!
0: Hey, Jim. Uh, love your show. Watch it every night with my two daughters at dinner. Oh, time. thank you. So, my question is on Anadarko, APC. It's moved up about 6% over the past month, and with the recent rise in crude oil, of course, hitting a three and a half year high this morning, wondering, are we going to see the same continued move up in Anadarko? All
3: right, here's what we did for ActionLordsPlus.com Club put it on a small position. Betting that the stock will come down and be able to get big at it. That's what I think you should do too. 52 week high today. No need to chase. Let it come in. And then, buy, buy, buy. but slowly it's a very irrational and erratic market. Robbie in California. Robbie.
4: Hi, Professor Kramer. You are a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you so much for helping Main Street America invest.
3: I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Sometimes very hard, like today, trying. How can I
4: help? I got real lucky and bought Endeavor, A-N-D-V, and Marathon Petroleum, M-P-C, two days before their merger was announced. Nice. I want to, incre- I, I want to increase my investment. My question is, should I buy more Marathon or should I buy more Endeavor? I Thank actually you think you should buy the Marathon.
3: I, I don't want to be in... Uh, I, I, I just after what I saw with NXPI... Uh, which is really not that analogous, other than the fact that when you see what happens when a deal breaks down. I can't take it. And I think that what matters to me is the Marathon Peak guys are fantastic. MPC, bye, bye, bye. Investors are surprised by all's wires, but should they be? I don't think so. When Slumberjay CEO says something, I don't sneeze at it, I read it much more mad money ahead. On a down day, this stock soared. I'm digging into Micron's gigantic buyback. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. Then, the sharing economy has disrupting industries from hospitality, to transportation, and entertainment. But what about clothes? Tonight, I'm talking to the CEO of Rent the Runway to see how it's become the Netflix of fashion. A very disruptive man, money is still ahead as we welcome number nine on the CNBC Disruptor 50. And all your calls, Robin Fire, in tonight's nice edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
1: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE.
2: There are any are number of call? antitrust scholars yeah, who conceive of lifts? usually what I have
3: to make. Calls on Facebook. You, you think I have any original thoughts? It all comes from. I didn't say people, that. Tom?
1: Hear it and say it. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Come on. It all starts at 9 a.m.
3: Eastern. In a down day, did you see the stock of Micron today surging $3.55 or 6.4%? If there's any doubt that this company has changed its stripes, I think management put it to rest at their analyst day yesterday. A remarkable meeting. Remember, Micron makes DRAMs, dynamic random access memory uh, chips, along with flash memory, two basic building blocks of technology. These businesses are booming. But because they're widely and incorrectly considered commodity products, meaning it's supposedly easy for competition to come in, build some new factories, flood the market with some new supply. To destroyed pricing, there's been a ton of skepticism about the story. Many investors refuse to believe that Micron's business can stay this hot. They figure that earnings have to collapse. And to be fair, this is how it's played out in the past. That's why even after this remarkable run, with the stock up nearly 90% last year, over 40% for 2018, Micron still sells at an absurd 5.2 times earnings among the cheapest stocks of the S&P. But this time, the company's telling a very different story. These chips have gotten a lot more complicated. Management is adamant that their competitors can't just flood the market with new supply overnight anymore. So yesterday, Micron took a meat accident to the bear thesis. The company boosted its guidance for the next quarter, and more importantly, they announced a monster $10 billion buyback, roughly 15% of the share cap. You don't get that unless you think your stock is too darn cheap. Do not take it from me. Let's go to Sanjay Mahotra. He's the president and CEO of Micron. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Mahotra, welcome to Mad Money. Honored to have you, Thank sir. you, Thank you. sir. Thank you. Please have a seat. Show. Okay, Sanjay, let, let's get right to it. Uh, $10 billion buyback. Uh, 50% of annual free cash flow going uh, to the shareholders. Uh, Remarkable. How can you be this confident?
4: Well, Jim, when we look at the market trends for um, um, DRAM memory and flash – and all the applications, whether it is your smartphones or data centers or autonomous vehicles for the future, the demand trends are strong. And very importantly, Micron is really executing well. Micron, the new Micron is absolutely focused on accelerating its technology lowering its cost, building high-value solutions, and we have produced great results over the course of 2017 and 2018, and we are very optimistic about our future as well.
3: But you're humble. You say that you weren't where you wanted to be, but now you're getting there. You even talk about a competitor that you think is doing a better job, but you're going to be able to catch them. What makes us think that the competitors can't flood the market, as I just said? Because let's say you call Martin Ansis, uh, you, you call uh, Applied Materials, you you call uh, Lamb Research. You say, okay, guys, I need all the machines, District Dickerson, that we can get. They can't do it, right?
4: You know, you look at the industry, look at the CapEx as a percentage of revenue that has been spent in the industry over the course of last several years. You see it's around 30%. Right. And Micron has the same approach as well. And when you look at the technology complexity, it's increasing, each successive generation of new technology that is deployed into production is actually giving you less supply growth capability on a per wafer basis. And the capex required is increasing as well. That combination is leading to stability of the markets in terms of supply bit growth. DRAM we project 2019 and beyond, approximately 20% supply bit growth. NAND 2019 and beyond, Approximately 40% and when you look at in the context of demand mm-hmm. demand CAGR is 20% or slightly higher over the next several years for DRAM and 40 to 45 percent for now, and so it's healthy fundamentals. But We have to
3: recognize that's the companion of growth because you've got autonomous vehicles, you've got artificial intelligence, inter- 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 uh, uh, internet of things, interconnecting billions of things, mobile exactly. growth, video gaming, cloud data centers. Micron's in all of those now if we were go- to go inside of those, right?
4: You got it right, Jim. Micron is everywhere, billions of devices on the edge as well as in the cloud computing. In fact, cloud computing data centers are the fastest growth driver for Micron.
3: Now, uh, we've not been that happy with flash pricing. Obviously, DRAM pricing has been very strong. Just last week, uh, Cisco admitted that they're wrong. They're huge buyers. They said, "No, I mean, it turns out that that DRAM pricing is even stronger. But in flash, you're not predicting a a huge decline. It's still single-digit decline, and it's
4: low single-digit at that. Well, we have not predicted price declines, but fundamentals for NAND industry are healthy. And what's important is that the cost, for the cost declines, uh, as long as the price decline is not ahead of the cost decline, that's healthy for the industry. And remember, in NAND flash, when price declines happen, supported by the cost decline, that actually makes the market grow bigger because you replace right. hard disk drives at a faster pace in your notebook PCs as well as you displace hard disk drives in cloud computing and a data center environment as well.
3: Okay, so explain to me, you know, you did a secondary October 12th, and you did 29, last year, 29.3 million shares, you raised a billion dollars of 41, but you paid down debt. Uh, in retrospect, you are buying higher than you sold. Uh, was that just... Just because in October you didn't realize how strong this year could be?
4: Well, that was a good move at that time because it allowed us to pay a certain amount of debt, which was high interest 7.5% debt, seven point
3: five percent secured. Yes,
4: and it, secure, yes. Exactly. And it right. was tied to our when we offer do equity offering, then we could retire that debt. So covenants were such that it okay. enabled us to be able to retire that debt. But of course, at this point, we are confident in the future, and that's why we announced a ten billion share buyback starting fiscal twenty
3: nineteen. Now, I think people have to recognize that that. that that is a huge portion of the company's entire market capitalization. You're retiring.
4: We, we are confident about the future of the company and absolutely looking at continuing to execute well. Looking at the market backdrop, we are excited about the future. Right,
3: well, we do, as you know, have Applied Materials on all the time, and we have Lam on. These are two amazing companies, and they are talking about the disciplined customers. Are, are all your? Are all of your? Um, opponents as disciplined as you are.
4: You know what I can tell you is that we at Micron are absolutely focused on return on investment. Any investment in OpEx or CapEx is absolutely targeted toward ROI, and I believe the rest of the industry looks at driving profitable growth as well.
3: When are people going to recognize that five times earnings is a little ridiculous, or you just have to do it
4: yourself and show people what a good bargain it is? You are absolutely right. I mean, RPE is low, and that's why we say we're going to buy this stock, you know, uh, starting fiscal 2019, $10 billion buyback, 50% of free cash flow on an annual basis. Well, I'm a believer the stock is ridiculous. I mean, that
3: it's cheaper than some of these auto companies, but really, I mean, they're great companies, but they can't do it. Well, I, I make you as the cheapest on next year's earnings of all 500 stocks in the S&P. Okay, that, that's Sanjay Mahotra. He's the CEO of Micron, symbol MU. Thank you so much. Mid Money's back into the Jim. break. Thank you. It is time. It's time for the and then the light round is over. Are you ready, Skeet? That is over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Judith in Massachusetts. Judith.
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, a few years ago, you recommended Altria Group, and I bought it, and you said to let the, um, to, to reinvest the dividends, which I did do. And honestly, Jim,
3: lately it just hasn't done anything. Well, it's got this uh, uh, competitor uh, that is, uh, we call it Jewel and it's hurting, uh, the whole industry is being roiled by this, and that's why I can no longer recommend any of the tobacco companies. You have to read the Philip Morris Quarterly Conference Call to know how bad things really have gotten. Let's go to Daniel in Texas, please, Daniel.
2: Captain Kramer, thanks for all you do. Clean glass Glassworks. Broken glass or will it shine? Uh, I don't like optical fiber, but
3: that's just me remembering the old days, so I'm going to have to say no to that one. Molly in Michigan. Molly! Hi, thanks for your expertise. I'm wanting to know about Beacon Roofing. Yeah, they missed the quarter. Them. A lot of these copies. we did a piece last week about Owens Quarter, and we said a lot of these copies missed their quarter. Uh, can they come back? Yes. Would I sell them now? I don't know. I mean, the problem is, is that Toll Brothers put a pretty good quarter, and everybody hated it. Anything housing right now is going down. So I want to be careful, Toll down port. Let's go to Shrey in Massachusetts. Shrey. Hey, Jim. This is Shrey here. Um, love your show. Follow it pretty regularly. My question is about varying systems, VR and uh, Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, one of these companies that does uh, surveillance, basically. Let's call it that, digital video. And I like that industry. Uh, I also like, by the way, proof points starting to go down when it just comes from the cyber area. So I'm okay with it. Let's go to Frank in Ohio. Frank. Howdy, Jim. Frank from Ohio here and a first-time caller. Oh, good. Good to have you. Say, I'd like to know uh, if I need to buy more or sell Sprint. Um, I prefer, and those two, I think T-Mobile is much more upside at $57. I think T-Mobile is the one you want to own, not Sprint. Let's go to Ron in New Jersey. Ron. Hey, Booyah, Jim from New Jersey. How are you? I am good. How about you there? I'm a similar uh, resident. What's going on? Uh, very good. I was just interested. Basically, I was watching uh, Opco Health. Well, you know, ever like since they go a- a- Bioreference Lab, it's just been a disaster. And I... Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, it shouldn't be. I think the company's a reasonable company, but uh, it just doesn't seem to be able to get any uh, traction. That's why we need Phil Frost on. Let's go to Dawn in California. Dawn.
1: Hey, Jim, I love your show. Thank you. I love your books. I love your tech industry interviews. Great advice. Have a question, Flex, buy, hold, or sell?
3: You know, there were some problems with that last flex quarter. Um, you, you know, there were uh, some accounting issues, and I can't recommend any stock that has accounting issues because accounting issues in uh, irregularities equal sell. Let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah. Mark, I'm calling from the city of brotherly love. There, my yes. Still I, yeah, my kids and I are longtime listeners and happy citizens of Kramerica. There you go. I wanted to get your thoughts on a stock I've had for a position in for a while, and until recently, it had been going sideways, and until recently, um, started acquiring debt. The stock is First Data Quarter. First Data we had Frank Fisignano on recently, and he he quit himself well. I mean, that was a terrific quarter. What can I say? I did not expect it to be that much of a blowout, and it was. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: We're always searching for game changers, for revolutionary companies that can upend entire industries and do something good socially too. Sometimes that means going off the tape with privately held businesses that are at the cutting edge of innovation. Consider the case of Rent the Runway, the company that pioneered the fashion rental business. This is a brilliant idea. There are tons of occasions where many women feel compelled to spend a fortune on dresses that they're only going to wear two or three times in their whole lives. Think about weddings. If you want to wear something really nice, it could set you back thousands of dollars for something you might only wear once. So nine years ago, Rent the Runway comes along and starts letting women rent really high-end luxury apparel and accessories online. It's brilliant. Now they have a subscription service that includes paying up to $159 a month for up to four items at once in rotation. That's how the company has 9 million customers already, and it's generating more than $100 million in revenue per year. It's also how Rent the Runway made it to the number nine on CNBC's Disruptor 50 list of startups that are revolutionizing their industries, because this business has the potential to really shake up the apparel space. So let's dig deeper with Jennifer Hyman. She's the co-founder and CEO of Rent the Runway. Find out more about her company and how it's transforming the fashion industry. And I also have to say, changing the work rules. Ms. Hyman, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Have a seat. So great to see you. Honored to have you on the show. I think you've done enough for our staff, (laughs) Uh, all of whom use you at every single occasion. That's
0: amazing. uh,
3: They all do. Now, I want you to tell me about the closet in the cloud and give people the uh, rudiments of, of how Rent the Runway works.
0: So we're disrupting the fashion industry by enabling women to rent clothes as opposed to buying them. And as you said, we started off with renting in special occasions, but we recently launched a subscription to fashion where women could have a closet on rotation, have unlimited possibilities of what to wear. And we're finding that the average subscriber uses Rent the Runway 150 days of the year as opposed to reaching into her closet. So that's just everyday
3: something. work wear in order to look their best without breaking the bank.
0: 100%. It's a complete consumer behavior change, where instead of going into your closet or buying something new, you're instead renting an outfit for work or for your weekends.
3: Well, uh, you know, one of the things that, that came to mind, I was speaking to, to Regina Gilgan, my executive producer, she was talking to me about how this is kind of both the rent economy, but also the Netflix economy. You buy the clothes, OK? You then rent them out. And then even in the end, there's a residual, right? You can even sell that in the end.
0: Yeah, it's an asset utilization model. It's all about how we take this blazer and restore it to perfect condition after every use and turn it as quickly as possible.
3: Well, one of the things I like about what you're doing, and I'm putting it in high, you're a private company, I can do this, is you also try to, you treat your workers differently because in the end you think it both, of course, for self-esteem, which is right, but also enhances profitability.
0: Yeah, so we decided to equalize benefits across all of our employees, hourly and corporate, and give the exact same policies to people across parental leave and bereavement and paid family sick leave. And I think that not only is... Do business leaders have to step up and be moral leaders? This is actually going to save my business millions of dollars over time. Talent is the competitive advantage in the new economy. 70% of millennials won't even work at a company unless it exemplifies their values. And unless you're actually treating your talent so you don't have to pay for constant new, you know, acquiring new talent, training them, the cost of attrition, those are much higher costs than actually just equalizing benefits.
3: Why don't more people know that, why don't
0: they know it? I, I actually don't know, because when we, talk, when we thought about this financially, it makes so much sense financially. I think that it's a matter of someone stepping up and doing it, because so much of business is about pattern recognition right. and copying what others have done.
3: All right, so talk to me about uh, which of the subscription models of people like. Why, one, why would someone go for the more expensive? And also, do it in terms of not just demo, uh, demographics, but also size of space in someone's apartment
0: right so one of the reasons why I had a vision for the closet in the cloud is that every single person around the world has this storage facility in their bedroom and we call it a closet and 80 percent of the stuff in that storage facility is worn three times or less in its lifetime so there's an enormous amount of waste and kind of financial um, value that we're placing in things that we don't use so the idea here is to completely save people thousands of dollars a year by nature of giving them 150 days of the year they could just have new stuff and new variety. And of course, be giving them access to the real designer product that they wouldn't have been able to afford anyway.
3: But you at the same time have a bit of a take no prisoners attitude, TNP, because you really would prefer for retail to really kind of go away as a a way to be able to buy because it's a very inefficient way to clothe yourself.
0: Okay, people should think about their closets like they think about a stock portfolio. There are things you want to invest in. You make those investments, and those are your blue chips. So you should invest in a great pair of jeans and a great cashmere sweater. You should have things that are higher quality that last. But for everything else, you should just have that on rotation and have the ability to take risks and constantly have newness and variety. And that's a subscription.
3: And and people, I mean, we went over the numbers, how many people. I mean, this is rapid acceptance, but you've decided to go some brick and mortar? Good?
0: So the brick and mortar is... If the closet is in the cloud, the stores become your dressing room. So we power with technology that you could go into the store, drop off things you've already worn, take things off the shelf, and leave without paying. So we've basically legalized shoplifting (laughs) in the store. And it's this magical experience for women to be able to have um, a really convenient way to get something new.
3: Well, you're too modest. You've revolutionized a lot of things. And that's why I think you can have just an incredible run for Rent the Runway. That's Jennifer Hyman, Rent the Runway, co-founder and CEO. I I love this story. Mad money's back after the break. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I'm
3: going to reiterate that the oils are going to come down here, and I want you to pick one. Uh, We like Schlumberger for the Channel Trust, but just find one that you like, because I think oil is not done going higher. And it'd be good to have a little exposure. You can pick a major. Chevron's fine too. Even Exxon. I like to say there's always a bull market something I promise I'd find it just for you, radio Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. How do you
1: land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to CNBCMakeIt.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at CNBCMakeIt.com slash courses.